Good afternoon and welcome to the show. Well, I'll start off by saying happy long weekend, everybody. I uh, hope everybody is enjoying some good family time. I'd like to say some real estate time, but you know, sometimes you just have to give it a break. But I'm happy to report to you about what is going on in the market. Lots to talk about this week, of course. And some great guests are going to be joining me. Uh, if everybody remembers my segment called Minutes with the Mayor, I've got the mayor of the township of Lake of Bays joining me. You don't know where that is? Well, we'll tell you where it is. And um, sometimes it's good to, you know, find out what's going out uh, going on in the outer markets. A little bit later on in the hour, I've got CEO of the Ontario Real Estate Association, Tim Hudak, joining me. And uh, shortly, I'm going to have Dave Butler from Butler Mortgage. We're going to be talking about what's going on with mortgages, rates market and everything else with real estate and mortgages but first lots to talk about in the news and uh, I had a real busy week this week you know a lot of people interviewing me asking me about what's going on with coach houses and how about some of these cancellations I don't know if everybody was on top of it but sure enough there was another cancellation of a development and you know it's uh, it, it's getting a little bit difficult when we start hearing about all of these these cancellations um, you know when we when people are buying a brand new condo and all of a sudden they get the letter from the builder about another one that has been cancelled yep Islington and Finch has been cancelled three years after it first announced uh, by Terranetta developments and um, yeah that's not that's not a great thing uh, again when we talk about a 10-story building quite a few units and some people have gotten their deposits back not everybody yet and I would imagine that the builder will honor that aspect of it but what about the people that bought three years ago everybody remember what the price was so let's let's go back in our time machine you know uh, I'm pretty sure the value when when we see that it with 111 units, um, with uh, with it starting at 192.9. So you know what? That's they were probably floating around that $500 a square foot. Uh, since then, you know, we are eight, nine hundred dollars a square foot. That's a big, big difference when we start talking about value and what people have to qualify and what they're going to pay and everything else. So uh, I uh, I feel sorry for all the buyers that were involved. Um, hopefully, uh, you know, the builder can at least appease everybody by telling them what's gone on. Right now, there has not been uh, much information on it. And, you know, this will continue. I know a lot of people think that I'm I'm a little bit of a doomsayer when we talk about things such as condominiums, you know, uh, not going through. I think there's going to be a lot more. Um, in fact, for those of you that have bought brand new condos, hang on to your hat because if you bought, if you bought within, I would say, three to four years ago and it has not broken ground, you should have some concern uh, at this point. And, and it's just a fact. So Toronto real estate market, what's it doing? Well, you know what? They're saying there's just a bit of an uptick right now in April and it's about time. We've been waiting for this for a little while. In fact, we, uh, we've been really holding our breath because so far coming out of the gate, when we take a look at the numbers coming through on February and March, nothing to brag about, but maybe we're going to start seeing a little bit of an increase. And so <clears throat> I don't know if everybody caught this this week, was that the Ford government, they're starting, and I'll call it part one of the true problem that we've got, but good on them for turning around. They've, they're coming up with a, a billion dollars that they're going to be working on to help with the affordable housing issue, the social housing. So basically, 
there is a lot of disrepair right now with a lot of the uh, Ontario community, community housing renewal strategies, what they're calling it, but we've got uh, quite a few problems with a lot of these buildings and in really, really rough shape. So there's a lot of vacancies that are being forced because of the condition of it. So what they're going to do is they're going to try their best to turn around and start cleaning that up. Now, um, one of the things that, uh, and, and why I call it part one of the problem, and I'm, I'm going to elaborate a little, uh, because I have been asked to actually uh, do a, 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 a more or less a provincial report on what is going on with rental properties. And let me explain why um, you know, I'm, I'm weighing in on this one, is that um, most of the issues that when we hear about affordable housing, everybody's mindset immediately goes to the social housing. And I agree, you know, we've got an issue there. Uh, lots of people that are, you know, left somewhat homeless, um, people that are, you know, staying in shelters and things like that. So what can we do about it? Uh, well, right now, so this is step one for the Ford government, but let's talk about just the average working person, the person that could be making thirty, forty thousand dollars a year. They could be single individuals, maybe a family income of around fifty thousand dollars a year. When we start talking about those numbers, uh, there is an affordable issue there as well, and this is actually going to create even a much bigger issue over the next five to ten years because of the that we do not have enough product and again I know a lot of people don't believe that there is a true shortage but if we take a look at Toronto in itself basically zero vacancy people are competing you know in in rental agreements and at this stage you know prices have become very unaffordable so we have to turn around and do something about this and so one of the things that I'm going to be looking into and again I'm going to be keeping everybody up to date as we go along with this but um, I'm hoping to have the, the report completed and submitted within the next few months and by doing so uh, you know I'm going to be doing an entire show on what my findings are and what we should be looking as some solutions but talking about it in the province of Ontario you know we're going to be breaking down a few things first of all who who has the ownership of most of the rental properties out there a lot of real estate investment trusts um, so they're kind of stable and working in the marketplaces that they do of course we've got apartment owners these are individual companies uh, corporations could be family-owned uh, there are a great deal of those in Ontario and then of course individual investors that's you that's you and me with the people that own like one two three units you know we're managing for tenancies and uh, we've got to talk about what some of the biggest obstacles are of course and this is very important one of the things that uh, one of our frequent guests here on the show uh, mr. Benjamin tall he's the CIBC capital markets deputy chief economist he's been on the show and and we've talked about the stress test uh, this week he put out a report and he he just doesn't quite understand where they came up with the 200 basis point number for the stress test and is it time for the government to change this uh, I always appreciate mr. Tull's reports because they're excellent they're well thought out and you know he backs them up with every single possible number that can be out there but most importantly when we take a look at what's happened with the b20 there 
it has really created problems for a lot of people. And when we put on our investor hat, it has created a problem for investors. So a lot of people cannot qualify to buy investment properties despite the fact that they're putting a minimum of 20% down. These are not CMHC insured mortgages. They are not deemed high ratio. And so, you know, one of the things, of course, uh, in my report, I'm going to be reporting on, you know, what the stress test has done to the ownership for investment properties. And I know a lot of people are sitting there saying, well, hang on, why are you focusing so much on investment properties and not just individual ownership? Because if we don't have people buying investment properties, we are going to have a massive lack of uh, tenanted properties. In other words, we need, not everybody has home ownership and a lot of people will suffice uh, to rent for years to come. And so they can then turn around and save up for a down payment for a house or property or a condo or whatever it is that they want to buy. But ultimately in the end, we need properties. Uh, if it's being bought by brand new builders, if it's by, being bought in the outer markets, if these are resales. And so as we break this down, you know, some of the obstacles of course are going to be stress test values, um, management. Uh, one of the biggest issues that we are experiencing right now, of course, is the landlord tenant board, the lack of adjudicators that are going to be dealing with issues such as non-payment of rent. And again, I'm sure that there's some tenants saying, hey, I've got some bad landlords. You're right. You need your day in court. And even you can't get there ahead of you know, the, the landlord who hasn't been paid rent. So this is part of the issue that is creating a massive problem. And uh, that means that we've got to worry about tenancies. And of course, the lenders. And this is one of the biggest pet peeves that we all have in the industry right now. The lenders have turned around and just taken a look at the stress test and went, okay, no problem, government said it. You know, to them, they think that, hey, it's a nice cushion, they can blame the government. But on top of that, you know, we need to identify who the best and worst lenders are and what their limitations are. Uh, you know, we can talk about the big banks. There are some that are, uh, I would say, investor friendly, and there's banks that definitely are not. And, you know, one of the things we've got to do is take a look at the limitations of each individual lender out there, finding out who's actually trying to cooperate and help this issue. Because this is an issue, and I know that you'll hear me rant about this on a regular basis, but it is an issue because when we talk about investment real estate, one of the things that should be, you know, considered, of course, is what rent comes in the equity that's being involved in the property, the ability for the investor who owns the property to take care of the debt, the marketplace, where they're located. But most importantly, we've got to consider the tenancies right now. And with the problem that vacancy rates have dropped to basically historic low in Ontario, um, we have to be concerned that this is only going to get amplified over the years to come. And with the lenders making it more and more difficult for investors to actually do a smart, prudent play. And, and again, folks, I'm not telling you that, you know, everybody should get rich quick. I'm not telling you that people should, you know, worry about landlords because, oh, it's all about money. Landlords have the ability to provide housing, Okay, and the private side of it, we, you know, we are talking about millions of tenants and properties that can get involved. And at this stage, this is going to become an epic problem and we need to identify the issues and we need to identify what the solutions are. And I'm very excited to do this report because I think that it is going to help 
you know, uh, at least shed some light on some of the issues. So I definitely have to commend the Ford government this week for, you know, taking a good crack at, again, the, the social housing issue and a lot of the, you know, the issues with the condition of them and definitely look forward to them making other solutions in the future so that we can take care of this. Uh, again, as I had mentioned earlier, earlier um, you know, we've got, uh, we've got Dave Butler joining us uh, in a moment, but don't forget, we've got our simple seminar. It's coming up this Thursday, the 25th, 7 p.m. You don't want to miss it because I've got some special news for everybody. We've got some, uh, some interesting things happening over the next few months. It's going to be really exciting. So go to thesimpleinvestor.com to register now. And when we come back, I've got Dave Butler. So stay with me. I'll be right back after this. And welcome back. So my first guest this hour uh, is no stranger to the show. It's Mr. Dave Butler from Butler Mortgage. And welcome back, Dave. Hey, Todd, how you doing? Thank you. Always great to have you on. And, um, you know, you and I always have some real conversations about what's going on in the market. Uh, just before we went on air, you said, hey, it's real busy. And I said, ah, I've got some mixed reviews on that from a few realtors. So what do you think? How is the market right now? Uh, I mean, I feel like it's picking up. I mean, I definitely feel that there is a there's there's definitely a lot of investors it feels like that are out you know looking to purchase um i don't know if that's maybe them getting ahead of the crowd before the big spring and summer season but um it definitely i mean there's definitely been an uptake in our business uh we're seeing a lot of purchases coming through of course we do my team in particular works with a lot of real estate investors so that could be a difference but uh it definitely feels a lot busier than it was in february and march that's for sure yeah. So, you know, there there was a report that just came out this week saying that, hey, April looks like, you know, it, it's starting to gain a little bit of traction. I mean, this is our spring market. This is when it should be as hot as ever. Are you finding that the lenders, though, are still feeling the pinch and we're going to see the continued downward pressure on the five-year fixed? We're hoping to. I mean, the bond market is really where those fixed rates are coming from. And it seems to be quite volatile at the moment um, with, you know, ultimately... It looks like it may have bottomed out. I mean, I did see a couple, believe it or not, a couple smaller lenders had raised their rates slightly. So if I had, let's say, a smaller lender sitting at 3.09 just a couple of weeks ago, I did see this week they went up to 3.14. Um, that was the first, I mean, that's not a big increase, but that was the first, you know, sign of anyone kind of pulling back a bit. And that was, you know, and that, that's, we almost basically had a straight drop down. I mean, a lot of people don't realize we were selling a five-year fixed in January at 399 and some people were even higher than that, and that got as low as 309 you know, and 319 So, I mean, that's in two months, that is a big drop. So, we, we may be seeing a little bit of a rebound off the bottom, but, I mean, who knows? I mean, the bond market goes down again. You'll see those fixed rates drop. Yeah, because you, when you and I talked last day, we we had thought that you know we may see one of those one of those lenders just kind of push the limits and say two nine nine, and you know get everybody all excited again like we saw a few years back. Yeah, we had it. It, it hit for a second. We we actually had it. It, it wasn't a it wasn't an announced two point nine nine, but we had the ability to buy it down to two point nine nine, which uh, we certainly did for some clients that fit that uh, that particular mold. Um, and then it's, you know, again, it, it's, we saw a couple lenders pull back a bit. I don't know if they got a little ahead of themselves, but, uh, I'm still hoping, I mean, if the, if the bond yields stay, stay low and they don't, they don't jump, I think there's still some room for a 299 announcement. I mean, 
the main thing, obviously, is that it's the big banks that do those announcements. The smaller lenders, you usually don't hear anything from when they've got a 299. It's usually someone like BMO or Scotia or TD that'll announce it, and it'll actually make its way into the news. Yeah. So now that now that we're talking about lenders, okay, and of course this is this is a big thing in the market right now. The stress test continues to be an obstacle that most people are thinking that should not be there. You know, CIBC's capital market deputy chief chief economist Benjamin Tall this week uh, released a report saying that you know the stress test imposed the market was probably necessary, but not now. In other words, is it the right is it the right stress test for today's marketplace? Does the, does that two percent, you know, approval number that it's got to be higher? Does that make sense now? And a lot of people are talking about it. That you know, we've got um, we've got some of the real estate associations. You've got people like uh, you know, Mr. Tall, you know, weighing in on this. You know, is this something that you know is eventually going to get turned over, or are, are, is the federal government just going to you know sit on their hands and say, no, you guys all have to suck it up? Gosh, I hope so. I mean, this stress test, I mean, if you talk to any mortgage broker and, and realtor, I know you have a lot of realtor friends as well. I mean, this stress test has been an absolute disaster, in my opinion. I mean, we went from, we basically went from going 100 miles an hour with very little stress test to imposing this ridiculous 2% higher than the rate stress test that really makes no sense. I don't even know where that kind of came from. It feels like they just grabbed it out of the air and said, this should slow things down. Um but I mean, I, I think everyone in, in, in any of the industries that are intertwined here are praying that they get rid of this because it's, it's I mean, I can understand a stress test. I'm, I'm not for, you know, just going buck wild crazy, but I guess, you know, there's got to be some measure, but 2% higher than the rate. Where does that come from? I mean, I mean, you and I have talked about this, but like what, who just arbitrarily decided that was the number? You know what I mean? It doesn't. You, if you, for you to do that, you'd have to have a forecast that rates are definitely going up by 2% uh, over the next, whatever it is, two or three years. Um, do we see that now? I mean, with the bond yields dropping and the volatility in that type of market, you know, I just think, I just think some more measured test needs to be involved, not so much just an arbitrary 2%. Well, you know, you and I have discussed this, and, and, and one of the reasons why I'm alluding to all of this is, um, you know, I've been I've been asked to do, to create a report on investment properties strategies, and a lot of the issues that are, are, are now people are being faced with, of course, are the lenders. And, you know, the lenders that, you know, they're, they're mandated to impose this stress test, but the lenders aren't themselves really fighting it. And, you know, one of the issues, of course, that we have is we've got a huge, you know, vacancy issue right now, you know, affordable housing, all sorts of things are popping up. As you mentioned, you know, you represent a lot of a lot of investor clients, but at the same time, it's even more difficult for for investors to buy investment properties to provide, you know, affordable housing, meaning people that can, you know, just rent regular properties, and mm -hmm. it's making it a lot more difficult. And this is this is part of the problem is should the should the big lenders not actually turn around and put a little bit of pressure backwards and say, look at, you know what, how would it's up to, up to us to assess this, or for that matter, how about we have some form of scalable design? Because right now, you know, you've got people that are forced to renewing with the same lender unless they turn around and have to go under the stress test to move lenders. Uh, you're you're literally a million percent correct. I mean, the lenders, this is, you know, the public, we, we only have so much of a fight in this. Um, you know, we, we are only going to really be there with our picket signs and, you know, and, and a lot of times that doesn't get things done. 
we need the people that business is directly affected, the billions of dollars that is affected. We need them, the banks, to be starting to put some pressure on. I mean, I think I'm hoping, you know, I, you know I'm, <laughs> I'm very hopeful that they are waiting to pick the right opportunity, um, which I would assume is getting very close to about now with this spring and summer market. I mean, we need to see a strong market uh, if we think we're going to get a bounce here. So uh, you're, you couldn't be more right. I mean, the bottom line is the banks need to be the ones putting the pressure on the government. That's their bottom line that's being affected. And hopefully, let's hope that they're picking the right time for that. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll wait and see, because I don't think the profits have quite dropped enough for them to realize the situation that they're in. But um, listen, Dave, always a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much. Um, best way for everybody to get, reach out to you? Everyone can give us a call at one 684 And of course, we've got butlermortgage.ca. And just uh, if you're inquiring, just ask to speak to Dave Butler. Thanks so much, Dave. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Todd. You too. And that was Dave Butler from Butler Mortgage. Stay with me because when I come back, I've got that segment that you haven't heard for a while, Minutes with the Mayor. And we'll be right back after this. And welcome back. If you're just tuning in, my next guest is the mayor of the township of Lake of Bays. And if you remember, a lot of times we uh, we do our minutes with the mayor and we haven't done it in a little while. And, you know, one of the important things is, is that we want to make sure that everybody is well aware of how vast, you know, the province of Ontario is, the different communities. And so this time I thought I would reach out to an area that is near and dear to myself and my family. And so um, I've been uh, very fortunate to be able to get the mayor of the township of Lake of Bays on with me, Mr. Terry Glover, and uh, welcome to the show, Mr. Mayor. Hello, good morning. So, um, one of the one of the things I guess a lot of people may not be aware of is where the township of Lake of Bays is. In 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 my in my opinion, on a on a good day, it's a two hour drive from the GTA. On a bad day, it's a three hour drive to the from the GTA. Yeah, that depends very much on traffic and and weather. Of course, is is a big factor. But you're you're about right. That's right, and we're. Uh, we're a little bit north of Bracebridge, and we're a little bit east uh, north of uh, Huntsville, and we're on your way to Algonquin Park if you were to go up 11 and, say, take 60 towards Ottawa. Excellent. Now, uh, Mr. Mayor, you are, you're just coming through your, your first full year as, as the mayor, and uh, I know a lot about uh, your platform. You were, you were trying to encourage you know, quite a bit of involvement now with the community and taking a look at things such as affordable housing, you know, rentals. Um, before we get into the vacation aspect of it, you know, can, you, can you tell us a little bit about uh, you know, a, a township like Lake of Bays and, and some of the attributes about it? Well, the really wonderful thing about Lake Bays is it's, it still has a lot of unique qualities. We have four uh, four hamlets in Lake Bays. Um, a lot of you who've been up the area might be familiar with Dorset and uh, and Baysville. However, it also has um, a lovely town of Dwight and then uh, Hillside, which is up in the Limberlost area. So it's a, geographically we're an extremely large area, uh, and it's because we got that darn big lake. Lake of Bay's Lake in the middle of us, so we surround the entire lake, and uh, uh, it's a good from the bottom all the way into the top part of Lake of Bay's a good hour drive. 
Well, when 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 discussing it, you know, I know there are a lot of you know our listeners that if they're golfers, they're very familiar with places such as Bigwin Island, which, you know, Bigwin Island has quite a bit of uh, historic, um, you know, lineage to it. You know, it wasn't always just a uh, just a golf course. It had been a major resort even back in the twenties and thirties. Yeah, Lake of Bays has a has a lot of history to it, and there's a lot of historians. We have a wonderfully active heritage society, and of course, yes, uh, Bigwin Island was home to the stars many many years ago, and uh, it's been uh, refurbished, and uh, it's very alive and well and active, and um, a big part of our community. And, and my understanding, as being kind of a, as a golfer, it was ranked as one of the top golf courses in Canada uh, for several years. I mean, it's absolutely the vistas are absolutely brilliant. Um, let's let's talk about some of the development, though. You know, um, I, I know it's important that you know people understand that you know we have we have you know some I, I would say you know affordable housing issues in the GTA market, but that also extends into some of the outer markets. And you know, I, I, if I remember correctly, one of the main for yourself is that you want to encourage more development and be able to provide you know more either rental housing or some kind of subsidized housing as well in the areas oh yeah it's it's a big factor for i would say at least all of ontario um uh affordable attainable whatever you want to call it uh i guess what's one one of the big issues is housing has become expensive so um it 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 creates a bit of a problem for you know uh, staffing and so on and so forth the average joe to get in and out of the market retaining seniors that kind of thing so um but i would say that um uh we're we're looking into it as best we can and of course the surrounding towns are are putting up houses pretty quickly at this point there's a couple of developments in uh, in Bracebridge and Huntsville that are that are doing a, a great job we have a lot of people that are moving up and renovating cottages so that that isn't as much we can't call that as affordable i would say that that's uh you know um that's a recreational market but there's people who are uh, retiring in the area and and that's just wonderful we have one of the largest seniors demographics in all of muskoka so it's a great thing and however we want to the big point is try and retain those people so in order to do that we have to have services and the services people need a place to live so we are looking at at that, uh, and we're looking at it creatively to try and find ways to bridge that and and uh, and get something going. Absolutely right. So let's 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 then delve into a, a little bit of what we consider cottage country. And of course, here on the show, um, for our listeners, you know, we do have a lot of people that are familiar with Muskoka uh, as a cottage destination. Uh, Lake of Bays is deemed as being part of that that area, of course. And when we when we take a look at it, you know, there's no longer just uh, you know the one season cottage. Uh, of course, depending on the generation that now owns the cottage, um, you know, in in my family's situation, you know, it's several generations lots of people in the area several generations some of the new uh people coming in they do knock down old cottages but you you did actually touch on the fact that we're seeing a lot of cottages perhaps a little bit older they're actually just doing updates and making them you know a little bit more uh, than just one season some are two three and even four seasons um is yeah, this I kind of say that I, I i don't know a whole lot of places that are um one season there are there are, I guess, probably uh, a fair bit out there, but um, most I hear from are, you know, four-season cottages, and and uh, it, it's it's great. I mean, it, with regards to living here year-round, I moved up from the city with our family here roughly 15 years ago, and uh, 
there's there's a lot of activities year round, no question about it. We have uh, well, I, I got to say our leaf our leaf season is is uh, well known throughout the world. We've been on uh, on many many shows and and Highway 60 and Algonquin Park and so on and so forth. It's it's absolutely crazy come leaf time, and and we've got a wonderful winter season. So we definitely have the four seasons. There's no question about it, and and uh, an awful lot of people call us home year round. So are you are you seeing more and more development coming into the into the township area? Um, you know, is it possible for people to be start looking into purchasing, or for that matter, is is rental a big part of the market for for the different seasons? Well, rental um, comes in different couple different categories with regards to renting to live. Um, it's a little difficult. Rental rental uh, units are, are few and far between, and we're seeing prices uh, comparable to um, you know Barrie and and even the city of Toronto uh, because of the scarcity of rental units. However, um, uh, with regards to people moving up, uh, yes, there's a huge influx. We just had a reported council discussing this, and and we're up in uh, building roughly 25 percent, which means, and that's just this quarter. So. We're seeing huge, uh, huge areas of, uh, and I believe most of the towns in the area are seeing roughly the same thing. So there's, there's an awful lot of construction going on. No question about that. So as as a as a as a new mayor in in the township, um, what what are some of your goals that you want to achieve over the next few years? Well, there, there's there's a number of things uh, uh, that we're looking into. We are actually having a uh, kind of a visioning session, which we have every every new term of council more or less we ask the council and there's a couple of new members of council as to what they'd like to see happen in the area i'd like to see more culture in the area i think that we need to uh develop that um i'd like to see uh i'd like to help out small business so i'm making that a major mandate in that uh try to get uh bridge some of the gaps for them and one of them of course is is uh, attainable housing as well as um uh, staffing levels are, are a big issue here. Um, we're trying to get the high schools, and then I, we just had a great report. Of, I'm also a member of district council, which is Muskoka, a great report there where we're speaking to the fact that um, uh, we've got to start to steer uh, young people towards the trades. And, and I remember hearing that when I was a young person, and I, I did go into a trade, but um, construction is, is one of our bigger, uh, our bigger industries here, and um, they need help too, so it's it's uh, that's one of the issues. One of the big issues is is trying to get uh, help for uh, small business, and uh, and so what we're going to do is we're going to be setting up um, some sort of a database. We have a great one in Lake Base. We have a fabulous economic development uh, uh, machine working here, where we're uh, we work uh, very closely with the businesses and uh, talk about issues that we can help with. So one of them is again attainable housing and staffing, and and high speed is another thing we're working on. But there is some light at the end of the tunnel, so we're working towards that. And uh, of course, the other governments are are making us promises, and hopefully we can, you know, capitalize on some of those and and get get our high speed improvements in. But however, when I did move in, I did have. Uh, we are able to stream where I am, and and if you're, but if you get into the, you know, the dark sides of the bush where you're near a rocky outcrop, you may have some difficulty. But there is still some options. Okay, well, Mr. Mayor, it's been a real pleasure uh, having a chat with you about the township of Lake Abase. Thank you so much for joining us, and uh, and I'll definitely be watching, being a a uh, having a residence up in Lake Abase. So uh, it's going to be very exciting. So thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thank.
thank you very much, and welcome everyone. Come on up for a visit or stay a while, so have a great day. Folks, that was the mayor of the township of Lake of Bays, Mr. Terry Glover, and uh, that was Minutes with the Mayor. When I come back, I've got Tim Hudak joining me, so stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. So here definitely is no stranger to the station, Mr. Tim Hudak, CEO of the Ontario Real Estate Association, and of course, host of the Tim Hudak Show here, Sundays at 5. And Tim, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Todd, and happy uh, Easter weekend to you. Yeah, thank you so much. Hopefully, uh, hopefully, you know, you're, you're going to have a little bit of family time, and, uh, you know, it's always good to do that on these long weekends. We got out for an Easter egg hunt today, by the way, with the girls. So there you go. Excellent. So, Tim, um, lots in the news for you and I to talk about, but definitely one that is that should be a red flag, I think, right across everybody's, uh, you know, everybody's board, is the fact that um, there's a mandatory sharing of offers among competing home buyers is being uh, floated by right now with the Ontario government. Um, can you can you talk to us about what's going on? I did see the rebuttal from from Aria. Uh, I think it's probably a smart way. Of to approach it, but maybe you can enlighten our listeners. Yeah, you bet, Todd. Thanks for the question. So let me take you through some background here. Um, as you and I have talked about on your show, and I thank you for all the time that you've given us, the Ontario Realtors got together and we said, okay, the rules that govern real estate are really dated. They go back to 2002. So we talked among our members, we talked to consumers, we brought forward a whole bunch of ideas on how we can have that the realtor who's giving you advice in the biggest purchase of your life will have the highest professional standards, the best education, and the most modern real estate tools anywhere in North America. And, Todd, for those that break the rules, they take advantage of a consumer, higher penalties, or the ability of the regulator to pull your license, kick you out altogether. Very, very cutting-edge stuff, and we're proud of it. We did suggest at one time as well that when you're going to sell your home or making an offer, that there should be the option that everything is made public among the buyers. That's just not the offering price but the closing date, the deposit, the down payment, and who gets the fridge. We said, make that an option. What happened is the government took our advice and they said, hold on a second, why don't we just make it mandatory? And we said, oh, whoa, hold your horses there. There's major downside in sacrifice and privacy and a lot more red tape if you make an open offer process with all the details for all the buyers to see mandatory. You know, Tim, I, I, I like your take on it and especially how you started analyzing it. So, you know, um, having been a realtor, you know, years past and dealt with, you know, I, I would say hundreds of multiple offers uh, in my career with them opening up the gate and saying it's mandatory as opposed to, you know, being optional. And, I, and, and I'm not going to fault realtors, but what I will say is that's a lot for a realtor to manage, especially when you can get you know multiple offers, 10, 20, 30. And then making sure that all other realtors who are representing buyers, that they are aware of every part of everybody else's offer. So basically, you know, if you've got 30 people presenting, that's 30 offers in play, that means that you're you're basically dealing with 900 uh, offers to be able to get out between all 30 people. And, and, and you see, my, my problem with that is, A, the communication, there's going to be broken telephone. And if it's been mandated, then you've always got somebody that will say, I didn't get all the offers. My client didn't have enough time to review. 
And again, I'm not I'm not saying that this is this is a realtor issue, but I mean it's a logistics nightmare that I don't think is actually possible. You know, you, you just gave a, a great example there, and you can have a lot of people in a multiple offer situation. And I think what happened here is they, they saw our idea to say, you know, if everybody opts in, they all, you know, check the box and consent to information being sharing, both buyers and sellers. The government said that, okay, let's take it a step further. And it's not the politicians. This hasn't gone to Premier Ford's desk or Minister Walker's desk. The civil servants just took it a step too far. And as you said, Todd, from your experience, you know, real estate exchanges can be very complex. And a lot of dynamics can happen uh, when you have a multiple offer situation. I just don't think they thought through all of the consequences, the red tape and the sacrifice of privacy that you just pointed out. And and Tim, you know, when we do talk about privacy, you know, there there are obviously there's there's two representations that are happening during every single negotiation, as you and I both know. One is for the buyer and one is for the seller. There could be that point where the seller does not wish for any of this to be open, or for that matter, for a buyer does not want everybody else knowing what their offer is, what their financial situation is, or the fact that they really do want, you know, the Barbie swing outside. I mean, we we have to kind of focus on, you know, as you said, we talk about privacy. Um, I, I don't think, you know, when, when, when things got overturned, I don't think there was a big issue when we talk about sold prices. I mean, you know, that becomes fact no matter what when, when a property closes. But there is the issues of of the financing aspect of things and what people are coming up with. So, you know how how is this going to how is this going to affect everybody and 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 what stopgap do we have in place? Well, you you raise an excellent you know second concern here. Transparency is uh, important, but you have to be careful when it starts to trump privacy of personal information. So here's an example. Say I was putting an offer in a house and I was in a multiple offer situation. And one of the conditions I put down in my offer was that I would have to sell my own house. And it lists that address. Suddenly, if there are 10 other buyers, strangers in the room, they see that I have to sell my house. And then when I go to sell my house, I'm going to be under pressure because they know I got to sell. I'm a, a buyer who wants to get out of their home, and therefore I will likely get a lot less from my house. Or let's say I've got you know $500,000 I've saved up. I want to use that as my down payment. Somebody then knows that I've got 500 grand sitting there and they can use that in games against me and a future purchase. So we really need to think through the repercussions if you make uh, privacy, the ability to control who knows your personal financial information, if you toss it out the window, there are significant negative consequences. So, Tim, and then, then my question was this, um, you know, we, we've heard about auction style bids and, you know, one of the, one of the things that I, I was not opposed to it, and the only reason why was it was just it's just dollars and cents. And you know, when when people can, if if people are agreeing to go into an auction environment, meaning basically, you know, here's a seller, you know, they're allowed, people are allowed to know who's bidding, but they don't know anything else about the offer. And I'm pretty sure, you know, in a proper auction style would say, you know, you must be firm, you must be this, you must have at least this much of a down payment, blah blah blah, or deposits. So so again, that would just be, you know, that's dollars for dollars, and 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 I don't think anybody really is at risk at that point. Would you agree or disagree? Um, I, I think you're right. And again, that's why we said, you know, consumer choice makes the world go round. If people are making a rational decision, you know, in consultation with the realtor, who's going to give you the best advice based on their experience in a whole myriad of situations you could face. If you choose to have an open offer, buyers and sellers, they all consent, fill your boots. 
It does exist for auctions today. We say you can share more information if you so chose, like the down payment, like who gets the Barbie swing in the back. But for goodness sakes, don't blow everything up in a radical gamble on the biggest source of savings in people's lives, their homes, by making this change that would be mandatory for every exchange in the province. That has not happened anywhere else in North America. It would be a very risky move. Yeah. Uh, folks, if you're just tuning in, I've got the CEO of the Ontario Real Estate Association, Tim Hudak, uh, joining me right now. He is host of the Tim Hudak Show, f- 5 o'clock on Sundays. Tim, um, one of the other things that I caught, uh, obviously, this week in the news, uh, two things, actually. Uh, Ford government, they're going to inject uh, a billion dollars into, obviously, um, the subsidized housing out there, uh, f- you know, to help doing some of the repairs. Uh, good thing, of course. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, across the board, whether you're, you know, a young family, kids are growing and trying to get a move up home, you're a millennial couple trying to get your first home, people trying to find a rental, you know, especially in the GTA, and then people who are falling out of having stable housing, like across the board, we have a critical supply problem, Todd. So kudos to the Ford government for moving on that. And in those other areas, it's all about increasing housing supply and choice in the market. And number two, taking a second look at the pylon with the mortgage stress test and mortgage restrictions, that's really taking a lot of people out of the market because the rules now have swung too far towards restrictions. Yeah, and I was just, uh, you know what, you, you got my second point before I even was going to bring it up. Uh, Benjamin Tall, uh, CIBC Capital Markets uh, Chief uh, Economist there, um, he, you know, he had a report this week as well. You know, he, he I guess, and, and, and we've had him as a frequent guest here on the show, uh, you know, he himself has turned around and said, I don't understand where the 200 basis point qualification comes in, where that arbitrary number, it was like, basically, they pulled it out of thin air. Why do they not implement something that you can now have it scalable or for that matter upon renewal of a mortgage if somebody's been paying a mortgage for five years and they want to renew it or move banks if they move banks they have to go get a new stress test so I'm not even talking about people that are buying I'm talking about today people that own if you move from your lender you're gonna get a stress test on the other side yeah you know and why you want to punish you know, careful savers who are making the mortgage payments is is beyond me they're also restricting their choice and if you restrict somebody's choice, that means you're a captive customer. So it's not in the interest of consumers when you say, hey, you want to avoid the stress test, you got to stick with your current bank, right? That's just not good policy. Benjamin Tall is a small guy. Uh, sorry, Benjamin Tall is a smart guy. He's a big brain. Uh, he's right on here. The stress test um, has gone too far. It's arbitrary. It doesn't take into account the fact that fixed mortgage rates already anticipate increases in rates. It doesn't take into account that maybe I or my wife may be making more money or returning to the workforce. I do hope in the next six months, there's a federal election that all the major political parties will put on other ideas to ensure responsible borrowing, but not punishing new Canadians, millennials, or careful savers. Yeah. And, and Tim, you know, one of, one of my comments always was that with this stress test, it's also limiting people to invest in real estate to create more inventory for tenants. And of course, you know, that's not going to help in our future. Um, listen, Tim, always a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, make sure everybody tunes in tomorrow for your show at 5 p.m. And thanks for joining us today. Have a great Easter. Thanks, Todd, for the time. 
Thanks so much. Folks, that was Tim Hudak, CEO of the Ontario Real Estate Association. Uh, remember, tomorrow, 5 o'clock, you can, uh, you can listen to Tim. Also, I want to thank Terry Glover. He is the mayor of the township of Lake of Bays. I want to thank Dave Butler. Always great to have Dave on. And I want to thank you for tuning in, of course. Um, my producer, Ian Grant, always a pleasure. He always makes it simple for me each, each week. And uh, don't forget, coming up this week, Thursday at 7 p.m., we've got the Simple Seminar. If you haven't signed up, please do so. Go to simpleinvestor.com. I've got a lot to talk about uh, on this next seminar. We've got some really cool things that are going to be, uh, well, I don't want to give it all away, but we've got some interesting things that are going to be happening over the next few months. So I'm your host, Todd C. Slater. You've been listening to Simply Real Estate right here on News Talk 1010.